Do you ever take a look at the news and start to worry that North Korea is going to attack the U.S.? Dr. Eric Foley has been working with Christians in North Korea for many years, and he shares this perspective. Fear is entirely understandable reaction to North Korea, but I would, I would challenge all Christians that any time that they feel a fear related to a possible attack from North Korea, that they would stop themselves and say, wait a minute, this is the daily life of the North Korean Christian. Instead of being afraid for myself, I want to intercede for them. Jesus never promised his followers an easy path. In fact, he told his disciples that the world would hate them. He sent them out as sheep among wolves. Jesus' words came true in the life of the apostles, and they're still coming true today in the lives of his followers around the world. Join host Todd Nettleton as we hear their inspiring stories and learn how we can help right now on The Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network. Welcome again to The Voice of the Martyrs Radio. We're in our studio today in Bartlesville, Oklahoma, with Eric Foley. Eric Foley is the president of VOM Korea. I should say Dr. Eric Foley, excuse me, Dr. Eric Foley, the president of VOM Korea, also the author of a book about North Korea called These Are the Generations. He has been our guest before. Eric, welcome back. What a good time to be back with you, Todd. <laughs> Dr. Todd. <laughs> Brother thank, Todd. Thank you for yeah. the uh, honorary doctorate. Let's talk about what's going on in North Korea, because obviously politically, yes. we're hearing a lot about North Korea, more than we have maybe in, in the last several years. What does that mean for mm. the situation on the ground inside North Korea? Well, you know, it's interesting you phrased it that way because you're hearing a lot more about North Korea than North Koreans are hearing about North Korea. <laughs> you know, we hear, if we listen to the news, that we're on the knife's edge of war, and yet it's important to point out that not one soldier has been mobilized in North Korea for war. There's some reasons why that is. Uh, North Korea always avoids mobilizing soldiers because they have to then provide more rations and, and support for troops. But what we have is, is truly a political situation. That's the way you described it, and that is the truth. What North Korea is receiving in terms of media coverage around the world is exactly what North Korea wants. And so nobody manipulates the media better than North Korea. What's happening inside North Korea is largely the same thing that always happens in North Korea. That's its own challenging situation. People say, you know, is, is, is it worse than, than it was before? My response is, when it's always as worse as it can be, it can't get any worse. But no, in terms of day-to-day -day existence in North Korea, it is life as usual. It's, of course, a very, very difficult usual. But what we have is truly a political situation rather than an actual, you know, situation where, where North Korea is chomping at the bit to go to war. I mean, they're, they're certainly testing missiles, and these are very serious situations. But in terms of the day-to-day -day life of North Koreans, life is the same as it's always been. One of the questions, Eric, that, that we often see in the, in the U.S. media as they talk about the regime in North Korea is this idea that how sane are they mm, mm -hmm. <laughs> is, is this idea, you know— in our minds, to fire a missile at the U.S. would be signing their own sure, death warrants. Sure. The U.S. would respond with overwhelming force and the regime would be wiped out. So surely they won't do that because aren't they a, and I love the word, they're a rational actor. Right. Aren't they a yeah. rational actor? They would never do that to sign their own death warrants. What's your perspective living in South Korea and having watched the North Korean regime for years and years and years? How much of a rational actor sure. are they? Is North Korea crazy? No. Are they evil? Yes. 
But um, crazy, no. You know, keep in mind that um, this behavior of North Korea is not new, nor is it unusual. It goes back to the very beginning of the North Korean state. North Korea was the only communist country ever to kick out the Soviet ambassador. That uh, has been some years ago. But think about that. Think about what that would have been like for North Korea to kick the Soviet ambassador out of North Korea. This is a country that has managed to play the Soviet Union and uh, Russia and China off each other for decades. And uh, often North Korea will like to point out the fact that it is the the U.S. government that changes every four years or every eight years, uh, whereas the North Korean regime continues virtually as a monolith now for seven decades. And their policy is consistent. Uh, North Korea generally practices a kind of a brinksmanship, knowing full well that war is, although it's it's discussed a lot, it's certainly um, something of last recourse. And so they specialize in knowing how far can they go. What's the advantage to North Korea in this time period to do what they're doing? They're getting rapid testing in of their missile systems and nuclear program in order to, as quickly as possible, accelerate the development of that program, knowing that at some point in time they will need to stop. And they will offer that as a bargaining chip, for example, to stop launching missiles at the time that they don't need to launch them anymore because they've accomplished their purpose. So what they're essentially doing is trying to raise the value of that bargaining chip so that when they want to use it, it's worth more. And, And to accomplish exactly what they want to accomplish. And then at a time that they don't need any testing anymore to say we're willing to stop and then to, to look as, especially in, internally, to look as if um, not only have they done something great, but they've done something gracious. So, but this is, this is normal for the North Korean government. I mean, this is the way that they've always acted. So certainly not at all to downplay the present situation, but it's important to put things in context. Right. And understand the history of the, of the two countries and of North Korea. People have asked me in this situation, you know, is this a worse situation for North Korean Christians? And as that's, I, as that's I the question to, yeah, we want to get as to. I, as I mentioned to you a moment ago, I say, you know, worst is worst. It can't get any worse than worst. But think about how for the last, what's it been now, two months maybe here in the United States that, that Americans have existed on this knife's edge of wondering what would happen. And what I always like to point out is that is the life of the North Korean Christian in North Korea. So if it makes Americans uncomfortable, if Americans lose a little sleeve, now take that and multiply that across seven decades and think about an even more intense situation on a day-to-day basis. And what that ought to do, Todd, I think is to drive us to a kind of a repentance of, of thinking how little we actually pray when it's our, our own security that's being questioned. We tend to sit up straight and take notice, but we don't often think about the fact that this is the day-to-day existence of the North Korean Christian. This is not something that started two months ago for them. This started in 1948. Right. We call it a huge crisis, and they call it Tuesday. Sometimes you'll see people make statements about, you know, speculating about how uh, things must be more difficult for North Koreans in this way or that. It's important to remember that North Korean society, that there's about a third of North Koreans who are plenty content with it. They, they benefit from the fact that they are considered loyal and useful to the state. But uh, Christians are considered at the bottom end of the social scale, and if they're found, they're not persecuted, they're executed. But the equation of human life in North Korea is that if you're not considered useful or valuable to the state, you will be starved or killed. That is the life for North Korean Christians. It can't get any worse than that in terms of, uh, you know, no political crisis can change that. We've talked before, and we've talked a little bit about Juche, but I want to talk more about it. You have said 
North Koreans are the most religious people yeah. on earth. Explain what you mean by that. Sure. You know, the going back to 1907, that's the date of the Great Pyongyang Revival, January 1907. And um, at the time of uh, right before the partition of the Koreas, think about this, more than 90 percent, nine zero percent of the Christian population of Korea was in the city of Pyongyang. There was not, a, you know, today nine of the 10 largest churches in the world are in Seoul, South Korea. You know, uh, Korea, South Korea sends out more missionaries than, than almost any other country. But right before the partition of North and South Korea, 92% or so of the Christians in that country were in Pyongyang. And today, of course, that situation has been reversed dramatically. But that doesn't mean that North Korea has simply become an atheistic country. Uh, North Korea is a country built on the worship of Kim Il-sung. That hasn't changed. People ask, well, aren't North Koreans becoming wise to that situation and, and coming to realize that he's not a god? And that that kind of a statement would, would imply that it was possible to begin to think right. that way in North that, Korea. That there was sources of information that said something other than Right, sources of information and, and a place to stand to make that statement. And in North Korea, there is no such place. There continues to be no such place. Talk a little bit about what that means, though, that Kim Jong-il is a god. Sure. I mean, and I've been fascinated by this, yeah. the fact that so much of it is just like I believe Jehovah is God. So I right. read his book. I sing songs to him. Yeah. I pray to him. That's the same thing North Koreans do. Right. Yeah, this is why I say North Korea is the most religious country on earth. 100% of North Koreans are involved in this worship of Kim Il-sung. It's not a, there's no such opt-out possibility. Um, and it is all-encompassing. If you get a PhD, this is no exaggeration, if you were to get a PhD in thermonuclear physics, one-third of your PhD in North Korea would, been, would be spent studying the Juche ideology. Wow. Right? So if, if you are becoming a heart surgeon in North Korea, one-third of your doctoral time would be spent studying the worship of Kim Il-sung, memorizing his speeches. So you think about people in medical school or law school or whatever. Imagine how if you took a third of their time and devoted it to uh, whatever the faith is, right. Christianity or any faith, right? You know, think about that even in a Muslim country. North Korea is without parallel in the degree to which it continues to um, devote hours and energy and attention to the Juche ideology. 43,000 centers across North Korea focus on the propagation of the Juche ideology. Parents are careful about what their children's first words are. You know, if you have a baby, you know, you want it to be mama or dada. That's really not good in North Korea. <laughs> Why? Because it would show that you are more focused on yourself than on the worship of Kim Il-sung. So parents prize and, and often, of course, don't tell the truth uh, that their baby's first words were something related to the Juche ideology. Wow. But um, one thing, Tan, I think it's important to understand is that although we can overlay a lot of those things from the Christian faith onto Juche ideology, you know, North Korea has a hymnal, North Korea has the Ten Principles, which are uh, roughly parallel to our Ten Commandments in, in terms of the function that they play in North Korea life. It's important to understand that North Korea is still a Confucian country, and I'm speaking about the, the philosophy of Confucius. That means that just as in South Korea there would be a large number of people worshiping their ancestors, what essentially Juche is is the worship of ancestors. It is the, the belief that Kim Il-sung is the ancestor of the North Korean people. He is the great father of the North Korean people. So sometimes you will hear in the media the incorrect statement that people worship Kim Jong-un, the current leader. They do not. 
Why? Because he's alive. So they may venerate him, they may sing songs about him, they may praise his accomplishments, but they do not worship him because as a Confucian country, they worship Kim Il-sung because he, he is dead. Confucian people know that life continues on in some way in the afterlife, but they don't. there's no such kind of a formal doctrine of it that we would have in Christianity. But that's why Kim Jong-il, for example, now you see the pictures of Kim, Kim Il-sung and Kim Jong-il next to each other, statues, Kim Il-sung, Kim Jong-il, because he's dead. And so he can become rightly in their mind an object, you know, a subject of worship because of their Confucian culture. In terms of the way Christians are treated, has anything mm-hmm. changed since Kim Jong-un took power? Sure. And, you know, it's funny because I say worst can't get any worst, but it can spread, right? And that's what we've seen. There's no way that persecution against Christians in North Korea could be intensified beyond what it's been for decades. And it's not because that's treated casually at all. It's exactly the opposite. There, there has always been a zero tolerance policy of any kind of Christian activity. But what's different is, is that is spread. That, that spread started three years ago when North Korea, in its response, um, every year the UN does an assessment of the human rights and religious freedom of different countries. And so in, in North Korea's response to the UN report, going back to 2015, three years ago, In that response, it called missionary work acts of terrorism. That was how it identified. That's what the North Korean government right. said about missionary work. Said about missionary work. work. And they so were these talking, are terrorists. Yeah, they were talking about people who were operating outside the borders of North Korea to reach North Korean people who would come across uh, the borders on a, a relative visa or a work permit or that kind of a thing. And so, Which for, would be something VOM is involved Of course. In. <laughs> that, that makes, <laughs> that, that makes to, us terrorists. That's exactly yeah. right. You know, of course, as, as a person who that, that is our work, what I wanted was a huge hue and cry on the part of Christians around the world to say, hey, this is and right to call a missionary terrorist. And that didn't happen, unfortunately. And so North Korea then systematically has entered into the process of expanding this worst now, which has always impacted North Korean Christians, to apply to those of us who do missionary work to North Korea as well. And and again, you could point to um, one, one of our, our longtime uh, VOM partners who who led our work up in the Changbek area of China, Pastor Han. And Pastor Han was martyred on April 30th of a year ago. How does that happen? It For the reason I'm talking about. And it's important for people to understand. And we, we talked about Pastor Han in our newsletter yeah. not very many months ago. This didn't happen inside North Korea that he was It happened martyred. in China. It happened right. in China on Chinese territory. Somebody came across With, the border to kill exactly. him. Exactly. This is huge for people to understand. This is, is a country it, that will send right. assassins outside their country to kill somebody they don't like. We saw that with Kim Jong-un's yes. half-brother. Right. We saw that with Pastor Han as well. Right. I think the thing that's sad about it, Todd, first of all, it's, it is having a chilling effect on missions to North Korea because there's a pincher effect. On the one hand, we have North Korea and China permitting—think about this—China permitting— North Korean state security agents to operate on Chinese soil in specific areas close to the border. That is almost unprecedented for the sake of identifying missionaries. Then, on the other hand, you have Xi Jinping in China, the president of China, who said three years ago he would clear all missionaries out of China by the end of 2017. And he is 
doing his best to achieve that goal. So you have a pincher effect, and it is having a chilling effect. I was counting in the last uh, three years that uh, somewhere between 1,300 and 1,800 Korean missionaries have either left China or been kicked out of China. Their visas haven't been renewed. Think about— Eight, Up to yeah, 1,800. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Who used to do this North Korea right. work. And, so, and these are people who are ethnic Koreans. They speak the language. Yeah. They understand the right. culture. They can hit the ground running when they get there. Right. And now they're gone. Right. And so all of this happens where we don't pay as much attention to it because we think of North Korea ministry as happening only inside North Korea. But as we've talked about on this program before, 80 percent, 80 percent of North Korean defectors who, who live in South Korea, right? These are the people who have escaped to make it to South Korea. They're in regular monthly contact with their relatives in North Korea. Where's the front line of ministry in North Korea? Well, the best information you're going to get about what's happening in the underground church in North Korea is from those people. The only people that limit North Korea ministry to what happens inside North Korea are those of us who may not be as well informed. The North Korean government doesn't look at North Korean ministry that way. No, clearly. If, yeah, yeah. I mean, they're assassinating people. Right. In China, not only China, but also we're having the same kind of chilling effect, the same kind of spying on missionary activity of uh, North Koreans who are workers in Russia, in Mongolia, in Southeast Asia, even in the Middle East, even in Libya. You know, in all of these countries, North Korea knows that Christian work happens in these countries to reach North Korean laborers who then bring the gospel back to North Korea. So we should never think of North Korean work as being limited only to what happens inside North Korea. That's, of course, a, a major component of what we do at VOM. But we're also recognizing the importance of that the North Korean uh, ministry ex is essentially borderless. I mean, you know, from Dubai on the one hand up to the, the farthest northern regions of Taiga in Russia, all the way into uh, southernmost regions of Asia. North Korean missionaries are doing their work, and North Korean secret agents are trying to stop us. And the North Korean government is very aware of these things. I I think of a project, One, of, it's actually one of our coolest stories, yeah. I think, of uh, faxing the gospel to North Korean yeah. fax numbers, yeah. and they faxed back <laughs> right. a message. A threat. What did the message say? Yeah. yeah, this was, you know, it was a great project, and this is a good example of a VOM project, which, of course, many of them we can't talk about right. until they're declassified. <laughs> so this is one of those that we can talk about, but it's indicative of the kind of work we continue to do today. We're not doing the fax project now, but we're doing other things that are, are, are like this, that, uh, that we partner with our underground Christian brothers and sisters in North Korea. They gather together more than 650 fax numbers of North Korean trade missions, hotels, government offices. They gathered those numbers, and then they, they, they got those to us. And then we went and we got fax numbers from all of North Korea's great partners, right? Pakistan, Libya, you know, uh, Myanmar, all these places that do business with North Korea. And then our North Korean underground university students, that's our missionary training program that VOM operates there in South Korea to train North Korean defectors to serve as missionaries today wherever North Koreans are found. Our North Korean UU students, underground university students, wrote out gospel testimonies and scripture every week. And we would blast fax all those faxes 
boxes inside North Korea, and we would change the number every week. It drove the North Koreans crazy. You know, there's certain things the North Koreans hate. They hate radio, they hate balloons, and they really hated the faxes. So what did they do? They responded with a fax. They didn't fax it back to our number. They faxed it to an embassy in Europe, but it was to us. It was to, to my wife and I, and what it said is, we know you dirty people. We know who you are, and it will not go well for you if you continue. And it was the first time that we ever thought about we were putting our lives in danger, but we had never thought about it in relation to our children. And yet that was the nature of the threat was extending even to our family. And I remember sitting down with our, our kids who, of course, have grown up and, you know, we've, we've been doing this work now for 16 years. Our kids are all grown up now. But, you know, we said to the kids, what do you think, you know, about this situation? I mean, we don't want to put you guys in this danger. And our daughter said, Dad, that's what being a Christian is. So she was 13 at the time. You know, our natural thought is, well, you know, you live in America. You live in South Korea. You're going to be fine. I'm reminded of the story, John Short, who was detained inside North Korea. They questioned him about his home in Australia. And they came back the next day and said, we sent someone to your house. They took a picture. Yes, it's exactly how you said. That is they a, questioned him right. about his yeah. office in Hong Kong. They came back the next day and said, yes, we sent somebody to look at that. It's exactly how you said. They had people in Australia. They had people in Hong Kong. People they were ready to yeah. go at a moment's notice. To So when they send a fax that says it's not going to go well with you— you have to take that seriously. Absolutely. And and, and you, you could go on and on with a list of countries. You could list the United States. Uh, you, you could list South Korea. We certainly have a lot of North Korean spy activity in South Korea. And and don't just be looking around for goose-stepping North, North Korean soldiers. It is well-documented North Korea's use of Caucasian spies going all the way back to uh, their connections with Eastern Europe under the Soviet Union that they, they raised uh, young people from birth, essentially, to be North Korean and yet to be able to speak with perfect accents, to understand things culturally. And so North Korea is, is, is never scared of military threats. And it's certainly not because they think they can beat the United States. It's because they know how to pick their shots well. And, and one of those things is certainly, for example, you see that with technology today, computer hacking, North Korea does that very well. Spying, they do very well. When you look at uh, army size, North Korea has the fourth largest standing army in the world. And when you look at secret forces, conservatively speaking, good estimates indicate that North Korea probably has more special forces than any other country. Wow. This is not a country that's on the ropes, that's crazy and making um, silly threats. This is a country that is expanding it is its attack on Christian activity outside of its own borders, and the rest of the world is simply more focused on our own yeah. safety and security. And I think it's so interesting that they see Christian activity as, as a direct one, yeah, threat. As the, as the one threat— yeah. That continues to trouble them. I think Christians in the United States, if I could open their eyes to anything, it would be that Christians in the United States think of Christianity as a personal faith or religion. And I think that that is not, certainly not an attitude that the North Korean government has. When you look at the broadcasts that go into North Korea, you know, of course, VOM sponsors a, a nightly shortwave radio broadcast, 90 minutes done by North Korean announcers, written, developed by North Korean announcers. That is the broadcast that is is always at the top ranking of the most jammed broadcast or jams attempted. Fortunately, we have great engineers. I mean, we truly are a pirate radio ship, you know, just like VOM radio here is. You know, we have engineers that actually work to evade the jams during the broadcast. But the point is, is that they're not blocking the political broadcasts. 
when you look at uh, the things that we might think in the West, we say, well, certainly they'd be blocking the political propaganda, but they don't. You know, the things that threaten them are Bibles and Christianity and the message of the gospel. That is not some trumped-up idea of a few missionaries. That is the testimony of intelligence agency after intelligence agency, analyst after analyst, historian after historian, the great uh, North Korean defector, Hyung Jung Yup, sorry my pronunciation, who passed away. He's not Christian by background, but he was the architect of the Juche ideologies, the highest ranking North Korean defector ever to defect. Uh, maybe only outside the Kim family, he, he had the most power. But what he told us was he said, I am amazed that people don't pay more attention to the 10 principles as the way to understand North Korea. And the 10 principles, of course, the first principle, their imitation of the 10 commandments, thou shall have no greater loyalty than the loyalty to Kim Il-sung. So it confused him that so little attention is paid of the role of the Christian faith as the direct challenge to Juche. This is the architect of the mm-hmm. Juche ideology who said this. This is not a missionary saying this. This is not uh, some uh, Christian trying to impress people. This is the guy who built the system saying, I'm surprised that people don't. This is our Achilles heel. Why aren't people attacking it? Right. And I think it's so important that the North Korean government understands that. We need to understand it as well. Right, right. As as Christians. They they are showing that by their activity. Right. That this is the greatest threat to our government, to our stability, to our power. We have to counteract this. Right. It seems like there, there's obviously a spiritual application for the, that as Christians, but it seems like there's a political application as sure. well. And if that, we that, come back right. to where we started that, and talk about politics. Right, and that's, that's why it's interesting because you were saying that uh, on the one hand we don't talk about politics. And one of the things I always like to emphasize is that I have never heard a North Korean underground Christian talking about regime change or praying for the death of Kim Jong-un. Uh, uniformly, what they pray for is his salvation. I've, I've never heard a North Korean underground Christian praying for God to remove them from North Korea or give them the freedom of South Korean or American people. That's not what they pray for. And so I think it's important to understand that the, the North Korean government understands the power of Christianity. North Korean underground Christians understand the power of Christianity. It's still, you know, I mentioned it several times on this show that what's guided our ministry at VOM Korea of since the inception was the first underground Christian who I met, who I said, how can I pray for you? You know, as a typical kind of American pastor, how can I pray for you? You know, what do you need? Do you need Bibles? Do you need medical supplies? And, and so he just smiled at me with kind of the condescending smile. And he said, yeah, he said, you know, that's the problem with you American and South Korean Christians is you have so much. He said, you have so much money and freedom. You put your faith in your money and your freedom. He said, in North Korea, we Christians have neither money nor freedom. We have God and we found he is sufficient. So I think, you know, so why I always say, he told me, you know, his answer, final, ultimate answer to the question was, he said, please don't pray for us, pray with us that God will find us each faithful where he's placed us. And I think if I were to say, what is the biggest difference that I see between North Korean underground Christians and Christians in the rest of the world, it is that I sometimes think, Todd, that Christians in the rest of the world confuse freedom of religion with freedom in Christ. And Christ didn't die on the cross for freedom of religion. And so we don't have to be sad that uh, North Korean Christians are in the situation they're in. You know, I mentioned to you before the North Korean Christian who a number of people got to get a lot of money and uh, help this person to get out of a concentration camp. They couldn't get him out of North Korea, but they got them out of a concentration camp and under house arrest in North Korea. And uh, when the courier went to visit this 
Christian who got out of the concentration camp, they said, you know, Christians around the world, they put their money together and they got you out of the camp. And, and her response, she, she simply said, why? Because what she was saying was, is that Romans 8.28 works just as well in a North Korean concentration camp as it does in the rest of the world. Wow. So that's, that is not to be cavalier to say North Koreans um, eat suffering for lunch. And, and it is to say that it is simply their expectation of being Christian and, and that they do not believe themselves in any sense to have fewer blessings than Christians in the West. So I never hear North Koreans uh, uh, coveting the blessings of Christians in the West because Christ is so real to them. So um, is, it, is, it a, is it a political situation? Yes, it is very much. And it's just because that we don't understand what a threat to the evil governments of the world that the gospel of Jesus Christ is. Just this, you know, when we're doing our radio broadcast every night, what is it? It's reading the Bible. It's reading Tortured for Christ. You know, it's that kind of stuff. There's there's no current events that are in it right. at all. I mean, but if you were to say to the North Korean government, is that political? They would say, yes, that is very political. People today, what they talk about being concerned about is a war between the United States and North Korea. What I want to do is I want to redirect people's attention to the war that has been underway for seven decades, which is the war on Christians in North Korea. So I think when people today are saying what, you know, people all the time, they ask me, will there be a war between North Korea and the United States? They talk about the drums of war are ringing. That's right. But I'll tell you what, there is a war. It's been underway for seven decades. I'm, I'm praise to God, thankful that the church in North Korea is is amazingly growing faster than the church in South Korea, growing faster than the church in America, but it's it is being built by the blood of the martyrs. And so when we when when people approach you and uh, as a Christian maybe or if they know that you care about North Korea and they say to you, hey, what do you think about you know there's going to be a war with North Korea? Say that to them. Say, hey, let me tell you about the war that is underway in North Korea. This is a war that's been going on for seven decades against Christians, and yet it is a war that God continues to win. So interesting. Our guest this week on Voice of the Martyrs Radio is Eric Foley. He is the president of VOM Korea. He is also the author of a book called These Are the Generations. Eric, you've kind of answered this question because we've talked about how they pray. Yeah. Uh, but we always want to leave our listeners with a way to pray. And I think particularly right now, I hope our listeners, every time the word North Korea flashes across their television screen, they think, I need to pray for that country. Sure. Anytime. We, yeah. How can they pray? And any t- I would say this, Todd, uh, and again, I hope I don't sound offensive in saying this, that I, fear is entirely understandable reaction to North Korea, but I would, I would challenge all Christians that any time that they feel a fear related to a possible attack from North Korea, that they would, they would stop themselves and say, wait a minute, wait a minute, this is the daily life of the North Korean Christian. Instead of being afraid for myself, I want to intercede for them. And that will help you pray yeah, immediately. Definitely. I mean, when you think about being afraid, that can fuel our prayers in a, in a really powerful way. Yeah. Now, in terms of uh, given some updated prayer requests, when I say the situation is uh, you can't get any worse than the worst, that doesn't mean that the situation is static. And so what I would say is, is that always our situation is about continuing to stay one body with North Korean underground Christians. And that would be the prayer request that I would hold up for people. Because 
we have to stay one step ahead of the North Korean government technologically in order to be able to stay in contact with our brothers and sisters in North Korea to do all of these inventive works and things. They continue to risk their lives to be able to do these things. We like to say we act as their proxy outside of North Korea. That's why we do the balloon launches with North Korean defectors. We operate the discipleship bases all over Asia. We, you know, we do the radio broadcasts. We do the, the training school. So we're acting on behalf of North Korean underground Christians. But we would pray and we would ask people to pray that at this time where the North Korean government is, is investing unprecedented resources to close down the border in a way that simply has never been closed down before, under Kim Jong-un, in the time of famine, the border was still relatively open. People could cross it. And now— The we, border with China. The border with China, yeah. Yeah, yeah certainly not the border with North yeah. Korea, South Korea. At this point, we're seeing as much as a, as a 70 percent decrease in North, Korean, uh, North Koreans leaving North Korea because of now the interception of cell phone signals, the aggressive uh, spying— in the interior of North Korea that is disrupting plans for people not only to defect but to cross back and forth across the border, which is an important way of, uh, of us working together. So let's pray that the Lord would continue to allow us to function as one body. I think that's uh, I, it's, it's not because we are in any sense cut off from them now, but that would be a, uh, at this particular hour. It wouldn't be something about the nuclear program that I would be praying about. It's, it's much more of a, of a day-to-day prosaic ordinary thing, which is let's pray that God allows us to continue to stay in contact with all of the different parts of the underground North Korean church that Voice of the Martyrs and other missionary organizations are working with. And as you pray, uh, we've talked a little bit, there are ways that the gospel is getting in. Voice of the Martyrs is involved in balloon launches. We're involved in a radio broadcasts. We're involved in some things we can't talk oh, about on all the, the really radio. cool stuff. You know, everybody <laughs> everybody likes to talk about the balloons and stuff, but the really cool stuff is the stuff that we'll be talking about in this. If the Lord tarries, we'll be yes. talking on this broadcast three, four years from now about what we're doing today. Uh, unfortunately, that may be after one of our brothers and sisters has been arrested. That's right, uh, because yeah. that's how some of our projects end is when someone goes to prison. So, as you're praying, remember it is serious work. Uh, it is serious risk that Christians are taking to complete these works. Eric, thanks for being our guest. Thanks for your heart for North Korea. I always uh, end up these conversations inspired, and I hope our listeners will hit their knees and pray for North Korea this week. Todd, always good to be back in the U.S. and uh, to be back with you here. God bless VOM and all of the supporters of VOM who, who make everything possible that we do in North Korea. We really give thanks to God, and we pray. North Koreans do pray. Uh, thanksgiving for uh, Voice of the Martyrs uh, because of the support of this organization. Thank you also for listening this week. I hope we've inspired your prayer list for the nation of North Korea. As always, you can connect with us online at vomradio.net. There are other conversations that I've had with Eric over the last three years. You can search for Eric Foley and find those and listen to them. And uh, again, share share this broadcast. Share with somebody in your church, in your Sunday school, maybe somebody who's asked you about the news about North Korea or seems nervous about what's going on in the world. Say, hey, let me give you some other information about North Korea that will help you pray effectively for that country. That's a great way to respond in these times when we see so much about crisis, we see so much about a country Let's respond with prayer. Let's respond with courage uh, and try to see sort of behind the veil what God is doing in that country. Next week, we'll continue broadening our perspective about world events. 
the eyes of the world have been turned to Myanmar and the crisis there among the Rohingya Muslims. Next week, we'll take a look at some of what God is doing in Myanmar and how he's building his church in spite of persecution that often starts with a new Christian's own family members or neighbors. I hope you'll be back to join us next week right here on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network.